Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is lost cast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to L105 in the morning. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm your other host, Jeff. <laughs> Something about the the 105. Did you ever have uh, any radio stations uh, when you were growing up that you listened to? Yeah, I, there's a couple of local stations here in uh, San Diego. One's called 91X. And uh, actually, funnily enough, Rock 105. Rock 105, really? Yeah. I knew it. I think it's something about the uh, the FM uh, spectrum. Like, it's a really common thing. When I was growing up, um, we had 101.5, which was like in the Southern Illinois uh, hit radio station, which I'd listen to. But like, I don't know. When, once I knew better, uh, I had to. Uh, I had more of like a grungy taste. You know, I liked Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana. And there was a station uh, in St. Louis that we could usually get uh, where I was from called uh, 105.7 The Point. I wonder if any of our listeners have ever heard of that. Probably not, but uh, I kind of grew up on that. And it was interesting because it's a, that's a time, I think, that's, you know, starting to phase out. Like, radio still exists, and I'm sure it's going strong in some areas, you know, but it's starting to fade, I think. I haven't listened to the radio in who knows how long. Yeah, like, if you look at just our listening habits, it's it might as well not exist anymore, but... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, this is Lost Cast 105, and uh, I don't know. I just It really just makes me think of radio stations. Didn't you uh, do a lot of radio stuff in college? Oh, I did, actually, yeah. And um, my brother was involved with... There was, like, a radio station at the college uh, and also a TV station. And I believe he was involved with both, although um, I think primarily, actually, television. Uh, but I actually went to that college for radio television, so I've got uh, some knowledge of that kind of crap. <laughs> did you host like a student radio show or something no no i never did anything like that my friends and i made some movies um for example what was one of them vampire sandwich i think was one vampire uh, sandwich yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't even want to know like we don't actually make comedy games but i think there's some part of me and I, and I don't like comedy games i hate to say it there's not even that many but the ones that I've experienced, I'm like, nah, these are trying way too hard. Like, Conquer's Bad Fur Day. Like, I never played it enough to really judge it, so I guess I give it uh, <laughs> four, four out of ten tiger hats. <laughs> wow, we haven't given something a tiger hat rating in a while. Um, Did we talk about what tiger hats should actually mean? I, I think uh, that we... It's no. always been arbitrary. Maybe we have before. We probably have. Talk about everything like ten times. It, it, it could actually have a, a meaning, though. It should mean like how much you actually think that you know about something. <laughs> and as we all know, that's always BS, right? You're like, oh, I know everything about game development. And you're like, no, you know about twenty percent. You just don't know <laughs> what you don't know, right? <laughs> so it's a very revealing number. I'd say, yeah, I'd say I know about forty percent of Conquerors Bad for a Day. Well, that's that's good. Leisure Suit Larry, you know, comedy games like that. Anyway. I like games that have, you know, humorous aspects, but aren't, yeah. like, completely farcical. Uh, Andrea, my wife, she says that she she likes that element, you know, like, uh, World of Warcraft is right up her alley, where, you know, the goblins will be like, what's up? Like, there's a little bit of humor in there. It's not so, like, <laughs> you know, Skyrim. Right, Greetings, yeah. citizen. <laughs> have you seen the danger of the dragons? You must be most careful. <laughs> it's like it's all serious business it's kind of like crusty you know yeah no I, I do i like the the world of warcraft style humor there was one thing in world of warcraft uh i haven't played in a little while and even when i did you know i'm a i'm a noob to you i never got past level like 50 or so but uh i had a warlock yeah you're like Psh, what a loser <laughs> Loser. you only spent like 200 hours playing that game what a dork i hate you <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a warlock and uh, i forget what it was like a shade or a shadow monster of something uh, oh no it was a void walker i remember because uh, whenever you give them a command they'd say things like yes or your bidding sire or whatever right but <laughs> there was this one really drawn out joke and, and you're doing these commands all the time so you'd hear this like five times in 10 minutes right <laughs> and he would, you probably know it i'm sure you know it he'd go i am void where prohibited and i'm like shut up <laughs> shut it because <laughs> i think 
by default, I tend to go for the more kind of stuffiness, I think. Like, my medieval fantasy experiences are all Dungeons and Dragons, where you always had the Dungeon Master friend who took it way too seriously and do the accents. And, uh, oh, Dragon Warrior was one of my very first games where it's all like, Thou hath required 48 more experience points before the king doth grant the levels, you know? Right. <laughs> it's all serious business, and I, <laughs> I guess I got used to it. Uh, yeah, I, I slant more towards the serious business side. Yeah. Uh, with a little bit of, of humor thrown in, so. Just like Lost Cast. <laughs> it's very dry <laughs> with stupid jokes. <laughs> so what are we talking about today, Jeff? We're talking about uh, noise. You want to talk about noise because you're a noisy noisemaker. You're always like flapping your lips, like bah, 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 making noise. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but you want to talk about like noise algorithms and as pertains to programming and development, right? Exactly. Um, we're going to talk about 2015. We're going to talk about like, you know, goals for the year. It's not going to be like previous years. We kind of touched on this a little bit in the previous episode, Lost Cast 104, but uh, we're going to expand on that a little bit and uh, that'll get into what game we're working on next. Ooh, like we made a decision, right? We're going to... Which is surprising for us. <laughs> I was actually, I was trying to explain this thing I heard yesterday when we were both kind of like, we weren't making a decision and I, that's the thing. I don't even know what it was from. There's some some kind of war analogy where like it's worse to not make a decision, you know, like indecision is worse than a bad decision. Right. Uh, I think it was like, let's say you're at the bottom of a hill and you're trying to find your enemy and there's, and there's, there's two different ways to go, like two ways up the hill, right? If you don't know which way to go, you don't want to just sit there. You want to charge up one side of the hill because you're making progress, right? You get to the top, your enemy's there, great. If you get to the top and your enemy's not there, you now have intelligence. You know where your enemy is, right? Like there, <laughs> there's reasons to just make a decision, even if it's not the best decision ever and uh yeah i don't know i kind of <laughs> i kind of failed with that anecdote well, yesterday you so you're like said it yesterday i thought you were saying <laughs> that it was better to not make a decision and so like, i was really confused <laughs> you're like matt so you're saying you just want to sit here and talk about it all day and like three months from now we'll be like <laughs> we're getting close to a decision <laughs> right no uh yeah the opposite i'm just terrible at conveying messages it's true you are terrible <laughs> So yeah, we have made a decision. Um, but first off, uh, tell us about the noise because you were uh, you were experimenting with like noise for procedural generation and stuff the other day. I was. Um, so a lot of this kind of like dovetails into a lot of the same discussion we were talking about, like doing a, a game later this year, right? And as part of that game, I was thinking about uh, generating maps, and I wanted to you know up until this point. A lot of our procedural generation has been kind of template-based. Yep. So both of the prototypes we're working on, uh, Wizards Lizard and, and some of our other games, um, uh, Lava Blade as well, they basically generate their levels using templates. Right. And so the templates kind of give you like a foundation for the geometry of the level, and then they might have some, uh, I think in Wizards Lizard we call them hints, um, but it would basically just be some markers on the template that would tell you where engine could potentially put different things like spikes or power-ups or whatever right i think i'll put a link in the show notes to that spelunky article where they were tearing the original game apart and, and uh looking at how the generation happened and there's it actually mentions the uh the templates there kind right, of explains yeah. so that stuff um so it's, it's a that's an interesting technique but um there's other ways of generating terrain and Something that I've kind of known about for a while, but I've never actually dug into, um, is using mathematical noise. Right. Um, and so some of the most famous algorithms for generating noise are like Perlin noise, um, which is pretty standard. And Perlin noise can actually be used for, for all different kinds of things. And uh, I guess just to take, take a step back, basically noise is kind of like a random-ish <laughs> generation of uh data across like you know several dimensions picture so, uh like static on a tv or noise right where right. it's just here's a collection of pixels completely randomly it just looks like bleh, like a big mess and usually it's grayscale right it's all shades of blacks and grays and whites and stuff oh it's a it's basically a normal right right yeah and so it's a as a value well it depends it can be value in several different ranges but ultimately what you want is like a value between zero and one yeah uh, which is a normal. And then, you know, 
that maps well to alpha transparency. And so like the easiest way to visualize some noise is to basically just plot a pixel what with what the alpha value is using the normal. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you get this grayscale image that has like gradients and stuff. Right. Um, anyways, but there's other algorithms, algorithms you can use to generate noise in a more consistent manner. You know, like the really dumb way to do it would be to just walk over a 2D grid and say, you know, math.random for yeah. each grid point. But that doesn't that look very work. good. It would work. Yeah. yeah, you just get this really, it doesn't look like anything. It's just this mess. It looks like you know, like the snow on your TV, right? Right. And for the purposes of procedural generation, you you want something that has a little bit more personality to it yeah uh something that will allow you to have a, a base for like you know creating interesting geometry and features and stuff and so something one of the you can ways, use yeah something you can use yeah so one of the ways that that's accomplished and i don't claim to be an expert here i have you know maybe three out of ten tiger hats understanding <laughs> <laughs> about this <laughs> but basically what you can do is you can layer noise together uh using you know, just whatever kind of noise algorithm you want. Like that sounds really noise. noisy. It's very noisy. Noise so, upon noise. <laughs> and uh, and what you can do is is you get this effect where you can like I guess it's hard to describe, but it kind of creates features around it. And I guess the easiest way to describe it is that there's this feature in Photoshop called Difference Clouds. I don't know if mm. you've used it. Maybe. <laughs> I am a Photoshop expert. <laughs> yes. uh, what i usually do is let's see i go to filter noise well there's a noise filter in in there too but um there's filter a, noise add noise is what i use yeah there's also um if you look i think it's generate filters generate difference clouds that sounds to me like a gimp feature no Did you ever use the GIMP? i mean it's in, photoshop? Lots, it's in lots of features i used to use it in photoshop yeah, that, those specific options though sound like something else to me i'm not actually seeing that in photoshop right now it may have changed i mean this is like photoshop 7 or something <laughs> so, old school know. yo right i don't know they're photoshop 12 or 17 <laughs> or whatever they're on now yeah i don't know either cs7 whatever. i'm on cs5 for the oh, record i'm pretty sure at least there's like an online version or something i know i'm behind <laughs> anyways uh the noise algorithm itself is is kind of very basic, right? It just kind of like determines what the value of a particular pixel should be based on some mathematical function. Yeah. And uh, Perlin noise was created by a guy named Ken Perlin. Why isn't it Ken noise? <laughs> Why isn't he? I don't know. So I was looking into that and I discovered that he actually created another algorithm called simplex noise later on, which wow. uh, is supposedly faster in some ways and better in other ways. And simpler, more simple, yeah. So, anyways, I decided to um, to implement that, and uh, it's pretty interesting because it's a lot of math I don't really understand. <laughs> Magic math, Magic math. But after you know, spending some time on forums and kind of tweaking the algorithm, and, and I, in typical fashion, I decided to kind of write the algorithm from scratch myself using some of like reference guides instead of just you know there are like noise.js libraries you can just pull in and, and use it in javascript but screw that yeah <laughs> i i can see learning both ways I'll, I'll do it sometimes where i just take someone else's code and tweak it and other times i like to go kind of line by line and make my own little thing yeah that's what i did here and it actually wasn't bad i mean the noise function itself is probably i don't know 50 lines or so you were implementing the simplex version yeah the simplex noise Gotcha. It's interesting because the noise function itself is really just operates on one pixel. And so you say, you know, the noise function itself takes an X and a Y, and then it generates the noise value for that particular pixel. Uh, how do you tell it to, like, make a big rectangle? Well, then you just loop. You yourself go through the rectangle and then assign. So the algorithm only gives you the value of a pixel at a time? Right. Oh, that's unexpected. That would have been like, I expected like, give me a, because that's, the, you, you know, what you usually see in both games and in like Photoshop is you want like, give me a rectangle of noise, basically. Right. It's interesting. And I mean, it's stupid simple to just create a nested for loop that walks over the X and the Y and drops yeah. the, the pixel value there. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is that <clears throat> a lot of people use kind of like what they call octaves, uh, which is generating the noise several layers at a time. 
uh, with kind of different inputs and seeds. And so you kind of get this, you know, it kind of builds on itself. What is this word you said? Octaves. Octaves. Learn something new here. Yeah, I hope I'm is. not the only one. <laughs> I hope there's some, uh, some listeners who are like scratching their heads with like wet dishwashing hands. <laughs> like, ah, oh, damn it. Now I'm Because <laughs> I am. I, I don't, I, this is new to me. So it was new to me too. And I, you know, I barely understand it, but basically, um, there's a lot of words like octave and frequency and stuff like that. It's interesting. A lot of the noise discussion, um, kind of bleeds into like audio wave type of discussions. Oh yeah. It's all just data, right? Yeah. And like, you can actually make uh noise as well, uh, in, uh, audio data as well. It's not just a visual thing. Right. I hear I'll, I'll, I'll do it for you now. <laughs> <laughs> pro audio noise right there thank you matt for your You're wonderful contribution to lost very Cast. welcome yes <laughs> <laughs> anyways um it's kind of a complicated ish process so i won't like bore you with my rudimentary understanding of the algorithm what no i'm listening <laughs> but the basic gist of it is is that you generate several layers of noise and uh, using and tweaking some different parameters you can get different effects and um, one of the things that you can get is these areas that kind of have a gradient between them. So you might have an area that is more on the lower end of the normal scale, like closer to zero. Right. Uh, and then you have some areas that are closer to one. And then there's gradients in between them. And so there's this smoothish, um, you know, map basically that kind of gives you a foundation for random terrain. Uh, nice. Because the other thing you can do with, you know, once you have this 2D grid of normals, um, you can also even look at that as like a height map, right? So like, right. that's one good use of this kind of noise generation is that you can turn it into a height map. So so what you're talking about there is say you use your values in this way. Uh, basically, solid white would be, you know, you can walk here, right? And then like solid black would be a height of like, you know, let's say 10 is your max height. And that's like... A big wall and somewhere in the middle there might be like here's a two and maybe that's you know tall enough that you can walk on it and obviously this depends heavily on your simulation and all that but like maybe seven is you know too tall to walk on but you could use a rope or some crap but basically it just gives you values to use right and uh yeah and so you can map zero to one to you know i i think i mapped it in some of my messing around to you know like seven or eight right uh, tile types and then you know, I decided that, you know, zero was deep water, one was regular water, two was shallow water, three was beach, four was grass, five was darker grass or whatever, you know? Yeah. And uh, and then you can generate kind of this top-down view of your kind of terrain data. And then you can use that, you know? And, and in this case, I was just trying to kind of get, like, mountains and lakes or hills and rivers or whatever, you know, just kind of messing about and, and seeing what I could do. Yeah. Uh, I posted a couple of the pictures to Twitter, so you can link those in the show notes if you want, just to get a better visual idea of what what the hell I'm talking about. Did you tag them with the game dev hashtag? I did one, yeah. You did? Yes. Oh, I'm going to wipe away a social media tear. I'm so proud, Jeff. <laughs> Damn it. Good for you. <laughs> to our listeners, if you are on Twitter and you realize that you need to be on Twitter because, you know, gamers and stuff, use the game dev hashtag, man. It helps. It really does. It helps uh, your tweets get to people. It does, yeah. You get like, as soon as you post something with the game dev hashtag, you get like seven retweets from all the bots. Yeah. It's good. Do it. Yes. I'm a, I don't know. I'm a reluctant social media user for whatever reason. I am too. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. I would prefer to basically probably not be on Twitter at all. But, you know, years ago for LDG, I did it for LDG. <laughs> That's, right. That's not true at all. I, I had a personal account before um, Lost Decade, but it is the kind of thing that I, I don't necessarily do for fun. I do it because I know that it needs to be done, you know? Like a chore. It kind of, but you can make it fun. You know, you can post fun stuff, and that's fun. You can make it good. Yeah, you can. It's fun to share. It's just, you know, I don't know. You and I, I think, both always... Like, I can't tell you how many times I do this. I probably tweet a handful of times per day, and a little bit... Like, maybe not an equal amount, but a little bit less than that. I will almost type out that many tweets and be like, this is stupid, Matt. Just shut up and get back to work. 
and so you, it's this constant battle where you're you're like i need to do it a little bit but but just you know too much is too noisy and you know i don't know anyway pearly yeah. noise <laughs> yes <laughs> anyways um i wanted to, to mess around with this because I, I was just interested in proc gen in general and i wanted to see you know how what that would look like trying to generate a 2d tile map using this kind of data and i think the conclusion that i came to is that it's probably too complicated for what i want to do yeah um but it could it's have good other for like, interesting uses good for ecosystems you know, it makes a lot of sense for something like Minecraft where there's these biomes with like lots of depth and lots of, you know, here's a little lake, here's a little river that goes around some trees and all that crap. It's like there's a lot of, there's a rich ecosystem there of, of cubes and tiles and crap, right? Whereas I think in general, our games, especially our future games are kind of skewing simpler. So like all this massive data, uh, I don't know, like we probably want smaller, simpler things. Yeah, and like more, I mean, still procedurally generated, but a little more focused. Right. And I don't think that we're designing a game where it's all about exploring, you know, a vast world that changes all the time. Or, you know, every time you play, there's this hugely generated, you know, Minecraft style or Terraria style world. But anyways, it's a a really interesting technique and and noise is something that I've been, you know, it's kind of been one of those things on my radar. Like I, I knew like, oh, people use noise to do procedural generation. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hadn't actually, you know, dug in and messed about with it and played around. Yeah, you knew it was a tool that you could be using that you haven't really learned how to use yet. Yeah. And it seems in general that we are kind of moving towards not necessarily procedural generation for everything, but definitely using our coding chops to enable us to do more. You know, so if it's a kind of situation where we can we can design a level by hand, or we could design ten levels procedurally, we will probably opt for the latter, just because we want to be more effective. There's just two of us, after all. After all, and five cats. <laughs> and those cats don't do much work. No, they. Really I don't. whip them, whoosh, and they're just like Row! they don't like start coding. I'm like, get your paws on the keyboard, <laughs> make me some games. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing about noise, though, is it's very. You know, I mean, at, at least the basic generation is very hands-off, you know? Like, you have this algorithm, and you give it some seeds, and, and you probably want to tweak those seeds to get a desired result. But, you know, you end up with a really powerful tool. And, you know, I can generate a map that's, like, you know, as big as I want, basically. 500 right. by 500 tiles of interesting-looking terrain. You yeah. Know, it's got lakes and mountains and peaks and whatever else. And uh, that would be a really interesting starting point for certain kinds of games i think dwarf fortress is an interesting uh thing to look at that's got some really cool procedural generation and i wouldn't be surprised if their algorithms uh kind of at some point start with noise uh i wouldn't recommend trying to go and play that game because you might get stuck for a week just trying to like get it to run I mean, it's, i'm sure there's a lot to enjoy there but uh what i do sometimes is i just kind of keep my finger on the pulse like i'm kind of waiting for that game to be a little more accessible for me <laughs> Yeah. So like I'll sometimes just Google it and, and like look at some images and just kind of look at the dev blog and kind of like oh wow this game's insane. <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. That game is. I mean, I don't have any experience with it, obviously, but <laughs> I give uh, it one out of ten tiger hats. I've listened to a podcast from the developer, and I kind of like I was saying like I you know I'll be aware of it, but I don't follow it really heavily. I'm very interested in some of the core principles like just the ultimate roguelike, you know, and every single entity in the game has its own intelligence and like rings on individual fingers. And like, this one's missing a toe and just insane detail like that. Really cool. I hope it gets uh, finished someday, you know, I don't in our lifetime. It's going to be finished. I think it's just going to be this, you know, (laughs) uh, they're going to keep working on it as long as it'll pay their bills. Probably. It'll always go on. Why not? I mean, that's kind of fun. You can just, what. The developers will die. <laughs> no, no, they won't. We'll <laughs> freeze them cryogenically. And they put themselves in the game and then they live forever. That's right. That'd be pretty cool. Um, that's the ultimate goal. That's really interesting because that, you know, that's several, actually like, you know, 25 steps beyond what I'm doing. Because um, mm-hmm. I think they actually use, you know, like simulation to grow the forests and carve yeah. out rivers and stuff, you know, and the noise algorithm basically 
you're just kind of creating random data and then that random data happens to look like what lakes and mountains could be looking like. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting, actually. I saw an image uh, of people comparing. Um, someone took an actual, like, overhead, you know, picture of terrain, and it was converted to a height map um, using, like, you know, zeros and ones and grayscale and stuff. Yeah. It looks nothing like, you know, these noise generators. Nothing. Right. Like, actual terrain doesn't look anything like uh, what these noise functions generate. Um, so, how do you get there? How do you take like turn the noise from looking like a mess to looking like terrain well that's the thing is it is it looks like what you would think terrain looks like and that's like it's a game dev trick mm. like when you look at actual terrain from the top down like the way that rivers and mountains and stuff look it doesn't look like what you see in a typical like uh noise generation terrain mm. interestingly because uh, nature is just different you know yeah. That's not how nature does things. And to simulate that, you'd need more of like a simulation with, you know, evolutionary <laughs> aspects, right? Yeah. Because that's the way that, that terrain in the real world is formed. It's not just random crap. It's like, you know, these forces push this mountain up here and then this water runs down this thing and carves out this river here and it empties into this basin and it fills up as a lake and blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Like it all makes sense and follows physics over time and it's really complicated. Yeah, and it, yeah, it has like these very strict rules and yeah, physics and gravity and all that other crap. Um, so really, like this noise generation is just is an approximation of what the human mind can accept as <laughs> what terrain looks like. I'm kind of interested in uh, fractals in the same way. I think that you're interested in noise because a fractal can be used to generate something that can look a lot like noise from certain like vantage points, certain zoom levels or scale levels, you know. And everything in nature is a fractal, you know, from trees, from leaves, snowflakes, like it's all, uh, there's repeating patterns where at the same time they get to the point where they will never repeat. And uh, there's a lot of really great things you can do with fractals. That sounds really interesting. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so the noise stuff was was pretty fun. Um, I don't think I'll have an immediate use for it, but it was fun nonetheless. Although uh, one thing that apparently it can be used for is tile blending. Um, So you can kind of take two different sets of tiles like you could take some grass and some dirt let's say and they're just the tiles are just full dirt and full grass and they can use noise to kind of generate um some edges between them so you could hmm. say you know i'm going to generate um some noise and it's going to have relatively few you know values near one and then right. for every value of one it's going to be grass on top of dirt and then you kind of progressively turn that up more towards the grass end of the scale, right? So you get this gradient between dirt and grass. But it's kind of I this see. more natural looking, you know, you get these like spots and like clumps that start to give way into larger sections, you know, almost. Yeah. Again, not actually natural, but what the human mind would accept as natural. Yeah, th- this stuff actually reminds me of back when we first started working together. We were working on this game called Automa. And I knew almost nothing about art, but of course I was drawing uh, art for the game (laughs) and I was making it as fancy (laughs) as I could, even though the game didn't exist. We didn't know what we were building or anything like that, but I would use noise uh, pretty regularly. The the thing you were talking about of uh, blending from grass to dirt, um, I wouldn't use noise for that. I would like kind of poke a hole in the dirt and have the grass come up from underneath it, that kind of thing. Uh, but one thing I thought the noise was really good for is, uh, especially like in Photoshop and, you know, t- similar graphic programs, you can generate not just uh, value noise, but you can generate noise based, I mean, it's just data, right? You can have, uh, it also affect the hue and the saturation and all that kind of crap. And so you can make like colorful noise, right? And what I found right. is what I was doing is I would do some art at pretty, kind of a high resolution and then I would shrink it down and it kind of lacked this realism look, you know, it, then it looked a little too cartoony, even though I was going for realism. Uh, what was nice, though, is you use some colorful noise on it. At one, at, I forget which stage it was, whether I scaled it down first or not. But basically what it did is it, uh, like things in reality generally have lots of color and just insane gradients going on. You know, like you might see, like put your hand in the sun and let's say you're near some water and some trees like there's going to be so many subtle little greens and blues and all kinds of crazy crap and if you're just drawing a picture or like in a cartoon they're not going to bother with all those colors and that's why it looks 
more cartoony, you know. But when you put that Perlin noise, that color, you get this kind of rich depth, this kind of overlay that makes it look more real because there's so many colors bouncing around like there are in the real world, you know. Yeah, and I think that that kind of stuff, like, that's kind of my go-to technique if I need to make, like, a quick grass tile or a quick dirt tile is I'll just lay down a brown and put some noise over it. Lay down a brown? Lay down a brown. <laughs> Sorry, I have the maturity of, like, an eight-year-old. <laughs> Uh, I apologize. I'm 34, my, everybody. Can you believe that? Yeah, I was going to say, this is my business partner. Oh, yeah, that's him. I could be president this year yeah. of America <laughs> once I turn 35. Uh, oh, man. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I mostly use, uh, like these days, when I use noise, it's probably in this context. Something that I do relatively often is I'll just be doing some sketches in Photoshop. And I am more comfortable drawing just on paper uh, and pencil. I'm lousier, but I've, that's just what I've spent most of my life doing. And I've always, always kind of liked how the lead feels and looks on the paper. It's got this grittiness and this texture to it, you know? And when you're painting in a, just a digital program, by default, it just looks like these clear, crisp, pure colors. It usually, like, your paintbrush will, you know, spit out pure pigment and there's no texture, no no depth, and no variation to it. So, one common thing that I'll do is I'll make, a, a like, a noise layer, and, you know, like you were talking about, you just, here's a value, you know, it doesn't have any color to it. It's just grayscale. But then I use that uh, as basically kind of like a multi multiply layer that when I draw a line, it'll draw within those, like within the noise, right? Right. So a picture, if I'm drawing a line, instead of it's just like solid black, it's now like a mixture of that black and that noise. And it kind of creates that feeling of like, oh, it looks like lead over paper a little bit, you know, and I'll use that pretty often when I'm at the sketch phase. Huh. That's interesting. Noise has lots of value, uh, lots of like, yeah, lots of value, lots of purposes, lots of things you can use it for. It's a really good tool to have in your tool belt for lots of different reasons. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's just, you know, two of the, or three of the the uses we've talked about, and there's probably a whole bunch more. I, I know that there's ways to generate uh, or to use Perlin noise to generate like, more room and corridor style dungeons too yeah it's not just like this kind of natural-ish looking terrain um, but you can use it for all kinds of purposes so it sounds like you experimented with it and you got to the point where you realized it was probably overkill for the current um, projects but you came away as well with uh, some knowledge and some ways to use it right yeah exactly and i abstracted it all away into our game engine so that it's Packaged nice. for later use. So if um, there's any, any reason to generate noise later, we're all about it. Do you have any articles or anything you want to put in the show notes? Um, I've got one, actually, that I meant to send to you. I follow Gama Sutra pretty closely, and there was uh, just like a 10-page article about various types of noise that I'll send your way. And I'll also put that in the show notes. I haven't actually read it yet, so I, I give it... Uh, <laughs> four <laughs> i don't know I, I yeah i don't even know what i don't know yeah I, uh, I used a lot of resources in, in getting my implementation to the finish line because um it's a complicated subject for me i mean i'm, I'm that kind of math is not necessarily my strong suit like i don't i kind of understand what, it, what it's doing but at the same time like i couldn't go into the core algorithm and really change a whole lot and understand there- what's happening any math that's your strong suit? Is there any math that's my strong suit? <laughs> uh, you know, basic geometry. I'm pretty good at like linear algebra. I actually think that you are. I'm just breaking your balls. I know, because you're a jerk. But when you get into like weird, you know, mathematical functions that generate random data, it's like, oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's didn't, going on. Didn't you say that you wrote a, uh, a Raycaster not that long ago? I did, yeah. And did you write it from scratch or were you using reference or what? Um, I think I used a reference. Nice. Because I think that that's a really great math test. I'll, you'll often see this on like, you know, our game dev and forums and especially um, a lot of beginner uh, game developers. They're like, how much math do I need? Because I remember being at that point. I've probably talked about this before, but in high school, uh, I was in calculus and I'm like, I kind of understand most of this, but it's kind of magic and I kind of hate it because it's all just so dry and boring. If they had just been like, how do you calculate the aim from this spaceship to this spaceship how do you like where do you shoot your photon torpedoes i would have been like let's do this math baby you know but it was all like <laughs> shape a how does it correlate to shape b and i'm like you know 
Right. Uh, and I thought at the time, because that's when 3D was becoming a thing, you know, like in the 90s, it was like, oh, 3D games. And I'm like, well, then 2D games are dead. And I'm like, I'm not gonna ever going to be able to handle this math, you know? <laughs> and these days I know better. Like, even if you are making like a true 3D game and like, you know, Unreal Development Kit, it's like, oh, wow, this massive 3D monster. Uh, I still think that there's a lot of that like uh abstracted away from you you need surface knowledge and you need like the the better you understand it the better you're going to develop obviously but i think a pretty good rule of thumb is like if you can write your own raycaster you're probably fine with math <laughs> game dev wise <laughs> well you know with tools like unity and stuff and that kind of thing you don't really need to to know yeah. too much i mean you need to know and the tools enough, help but, you but yeah yeah uh, I remember I wrote a Raycaster not that long ago, and I wrote it all from scratch by myself until I got to the fisheye effect, and I needed help with that. And to this day, I still can't write a fisheye fix by myself. I need to look up a reference or something. Yeah, well, like, translating 3D to 2D is complicated. Yeah. Ugh. I actually ran into that, too, when uh, I was working on a contract game that we were working on uh, last year, about this time, actually. Well, oh, yeah about a month from now but anyway um <laughs> it was kind of a like pseudo 3d and 2d kind of game and oh uh, yeah we never actually talked about that yeah I'm, well i'm I sure mean, we mentioned some bits and pieces but that game like we've been paid for it that game is out in the market it exists i've actually played it on the website or one of them anyway where it was published yeah. it plays pretty good and the it's very retro it is very retro anyways it's kind of a um like a racing game um, and it kind of had like this behind the the car kind of camera style. Yeah. And, like Outrun. Yeah, like Outrun, yeah. And uh, yeah, the math was interestingly complicated. <laughs> you like that kind of stuff though, don't you? I think you like to be out of your comfort zone when it comes to math. I do. I, I like, really like, because it's so powerful, you know, it's like this noise stuff, you know, it's like, uh, I have such a small amount of code. I mean, it's complicated code. It's really dense code. Yeah. But, it's so powerful you know generates these things that could be the basis for lots and lots of terrain or something and it's i don't know it's powerful and it's fun yeah just being able to produce more than you can create manually feels awesome you know yeah and like the template approach to procedural generation like it it feels good um but it's like it, it's not like an order of magnitude more productive like than the sum of its parts you know it's like hmm you can stitch the templates together and you can like reuse some templates and you have some templates with variable spawn spots or whatever. And, and that's, yeah. that's really good, but it still takes a lot of hand curation to make all these templates and, you know, figure that stuff out. And then the generator is like, has to stitch all these rooms together or whatever in the case yeah. of like a wizard's lizard. Um, and not that like this noise algorithm gives you a game, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it gives you like a starting point, uh, it's like a very, you know, there's a lot to work with already. I, I made a game. It's called uh, Matt's Noise. <laughs> it's it's just noise. It. You can move around the noise. You can create new noise. You can listen to noise that I made earlier. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> That's a good segue. I'm done with this conversation. Let's talk about the year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Smooth as butter. Right. So... 2015. Uh, it's actually kind of interesting. You were just talking about our early 2014, where, man, the beginning of that year sucked. It was like we were uh, <clears throat> wanting to just concentrate on Wizards Lizard and get that out there, and Steam was very distracting. And this whole time, we had this game contract we were supposed to be doing and pushing that off and being big whiny babies about it. And this year already has a very different feel. Like, yesterday was Monday, the first Monday of the year. I'm fired up. We have uh, a little bit of a runway, you know, like I think that we would actually go bankrupt if we just sat on our hands all year. <laughs> I think yeah. someone would come into the apartment and physically remove me, <laughs> put me on the curb. <laughs> the repo man would be like, you know, repossessing all your stuff. Yeah. Here's some food stamps. You have to leave California now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting because we get to work on our next game and, uh, Yesterday, we had a talk about which game that should be, because as you know, uh, as a Lost Cast listener, we've had these two kind of prototypes going in tandem for a while. I want to uh, mention really quickly, though, how difficult of a process this has been for us. Which, it, which part? All just, of it? <laughs> well, just deciding on the, on the new game. Oh, yeah. Um, Agony. 
you think as you get you know, more experience with the game dev that things get easier but i think and this is uh true for you i think as well but i won't put words in your mouth but i feel <laughs> this enormous amount of pressure post awl i mean i know it wasn't a hit game really but yeah you know, we put something out there and there's a bar and <laughs> now there's this thing that we have to live up to yeah I feel like or, or do better right it's not even live up to it's like we want to surpass we want to get better well, we have a, a bar now. Like, there is some measurement. Because with everything else, it's it's been so sad. <laughs> <laughs> like, the bar didn't even exist. It's like trying to play Limbo when the bar is just sitting on the ground. And you're like, can I, <laughs> can I crawl underneath <laughs> that Limbo bar? <laughs> it's a pretty good analogy. Because like, mentally, like, I was just visually, visualizing that. And it sounds so pathetic. You're like, <laughs> your whole face is in the sand. And yeah, you're like but nudging like, the bar up with your nose. Like, help me. Limbo gets harder the lower the bar is, so your analogy kind of sucks. Ah, it's reversed. Reverse analogy. <laughs> so the bar gets lower, and then it's in hell, and you have to like shovel your way. Okay, yes. it's a garbage analogy. We're moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, so like with Onslaught Arena, it was it's like, more like here's a high jump. A high, yeah, that's better. Dang it, Jeff. Sorry. Quit, quit up showing me <laughs> my poor analogies. Um. But whatever the case, it's like uh, Onslaught Arena, it was the very first game we'd ever done. So it doesn't even matter. There is no bar, right? There is no spoon. Like, it just needs to, needs to exist. And when we set it out there, uh, we had very little to go through and, and measure. You know, it was just on the Chrome Web Store. And like, who knows what kind of impact it was having. And the impact we actually benefited from was never monetary. It was always like, oh, hey, these people want to talk to you now. And these people want to hire you. And these people want to license your games and, you know, contract you for this or that. It was all yeah, that was kind of success. Indirect success. Yeah, it was more like a business-to-business offering than it was business-to-consumers. Because uh, most consumers don't know it exists and probably wouldn't like it that much anyway. <laughs> Uh, um, I like to think about it as uh, the best piece of our resumes. Onslaught Arena? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. The next games, I think, like, we talked about this before, I'm sure, but, like, Lunchbug uh, was not as successful on many different avenues. You know, I think it actually ended up making more money just because it did hit that, like, mobile license avenue pretty hard at a time when it was like, oh, that's actually a pretty fancy game for when it was made in, like, 2012 or something. Uh, but what we really wanted, what we always wanted, was to be putting games directly in the hands of consumers. And Lunchbug wasn't that again. It was more of a business-to-business thing. It was like, here's this game. It's free-to-play, consumers. You can go and spend money, and no one's going to do that. We really just need to license it <laughs> to the right. platform providers, and that's what we did. Um, and then Lava Blade was the next big attempt. So just across the board, every single time, we were like, just, it was just such a level of fail that we never really acquired that bar of measurement, you know? I think and with we, the Wizards, it was Lizard, so low, right? Yeah. I think that all of our games were getting progressively better, you know, but there was this huge leap between <laughs> Lava Blade and then a Wizard's Lizard, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so now we're sitting at this place where we have this bar that's decently high. Yeah. And we were kind of fearless when getting into Crypt Run. Uh, I mean, you know, you, I'm sure you can go back and listen to those podcasts and we are anything but fearless. We're like terrified. <laughs> <laughs> but it it was the kind of thing where it's like, we just need to launch a game and it doesn't matter if it's a big piece of crap because that's all we've ever done, right? <laughs> so it's no problem. It's all we've ever done is big pieces of crap. And now there's like an expectation. There are actually people who play Wizard's Lizard and they want something, you know, as good or better. You know, you want the next game to stand on the shoulders of the previous game. Um, we were talking about this yesterday too. Like we both feel that pressure. We both... Um, and plus, like, we're more experienced. We we are now more capable of making a decent game. We have fewer excuses. You know what I mean? Um, so there's this, I think it was a TED Talk, I want to say. Uh, I can't remember her name. I feel bad. But it's basically the author of uh, Eat, Pray, Love, which is a book I obviously haven't read. It's not really up my alley. But it is a pop culture phenomenon. There was a movie made about it with Julia Roberts. Like, holy crap. That doesn't, you don't have a book <laughs> succeed much more than that. You know what I mean? Like, it made the author a multimillionaire, I'm sure. Um, but the point is, she gave this really interesting TED Talk. I'll put a link in the show notes. And what it said to me, uh, I'm not sure if it was the point of the whole talk or not, but the part that I came away with was like, um, after a success, your next thing is going to pale in comparison. It's going to fail, you know? Right. And what she realized is that she couldn't write anymore after Eat, Pray, Love. 
she was just like she'd sit down and be like okay i'm gonna write and like the motivation just wasn't there anymore and she was trying to figure out why that is and i may have lost some of this it's been a while right just go watch the video but basically what it came down to was like when she was this struggling person um she knew her stuff was going to fail, right? There was never at a moment where she was like, I'm writing Eat, Pray, Love, and this book's going to sell a million copies and have a movie with Julia. N- never any of that. It was always like, I'm writing this book because I have to, because it's what I love, and it's going to be a big piece of crap, and <laughs> the market's not going to like it, and that's fine, and I'm just going to do it and move on and write the next thing, you know? Yeah. And that didn't happen, obviously. Her book took off. And the next one, um, she was able to write again when she realized her next book was going to be a failure because there's really two ways it's going to go you're either you love to eat pray love right you love like you follow her now you're a fan the next book is not going to be eat pray love <laughs> it's not going to be eat pray love too right like you're not <laughs> right. it's not going to be the same thing so you're going to hate it and that's a failure right on the other end you maybe are familiar with eat pray love and you hate it and you want her to die <laughs> and it, th- like when her next book comes out that that's proof that she's still alive and you're like ugh, you know like it's her next book is going to fail when compared to eat, pray, love. And she said when she realized that she was able to write again because it put her mentally back where she was, where she was struggling. And it was the struggle itself that enabled her to be comfortable. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Yeah. But I mean, it yeah. kind of makes sense. Right. And not that we've seen success on that scale whatsoever, but no. even just a tiny amount of success kind of colors your, <laughs> you, you know, like your motivation and your expectations of yourself. Yeah. And I've been kind of, you know, when you're watching a Wizard's Lizard do its sales thing and go through a, like a Steam holiday sale and you're watching the numbers kind of crawl upwards and that kind of thing. For a, lo- for a while there, I've been thinking like, okay, well, this is doable now because our next game is going <laughs> to... Like when you look at the graph of our games, it's like crap, crap, a little bit better crap. And then, whoa, like much better crap. <laughs> and I was like, if you put the next game on that exponential scale, the next game is going to sell like 100,000 copies or something. And... Uh, just as a business person and looking at the numbers and being reasonable, we know that's not going to happen. In fact, our estimates is that it's not going to sell, what, like half as well as a wizard's lizard, you know? Right, and yeah, that, I mean, who knows? It's not going to sell as well. Yeah. It won't. And that's, honestly, that's made me more comfortable. And what it's made me do, honestly, too, is I'm really eager to work on the next game, ship the next game, set it aside, go to the next thing. You know, I wanna, I'm eager to work on the next three games, you know? Yeah. I want to push but- them out. It's a good, it's a healthy outlook. Hopefully. Because <laughs> otherwise, the, the whole point of this conversation was is that, you know, it's been hard for us to make a decision about what the next game is going to be because we have all these expectations on ourselves and, you know, yeah. we want to, it's not only the expectations, but it's also our experience. You know, we want to right. make a game that has a more solid core design. You know, it's like the more experience we get, the more holes we see in our previous products and exactly the more things we want to change the the success or failure of the next game will be based on our ability to focus and say no i think you know if we're able to find whatever it is that core is that people really enjoy playing about it and double down on that then it could do pretty good but if it's like a wizard's lizard where it does 20 things kind of mediocre (laughs) then it you know (laughs) Um, but we agonized a lot. So like we've talked about both of these projects on the podcast and, um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to go, you know, we could work on some other random game. We have this document full of notes for games, but we have these two relatively strong prototypes we've been talking about. There's your tactics game. And then there's a project skirmish that we've kind of been working on, not in isolation, but just kind of separately for the most part. And I think that we've been kind of veering towards one and, Basically, we have this focus where we want to ship the next game as soon as possible. And it's nice having that one thing to focus on because like yesterday, we were talking about your tactics game and it like checks more boxes. You know what I mean? It like, it, like scratches more itches. <clears throat> it's better in a lot of ways. But when it, where it lost out for Project Skirmish is just that it will take longer to ship. Like, we're pretty convinced of that. Like, maybe double as long. If nothing else, it's like, we want to ship a game like Q1, maybe early Q2, and we don't think we can do that. But with Project Skirmish, we feel like we might be able to. Yeah, it's just, it hits a lot of sweet spots, but it's just a more complicated game, like, across the board. Yeah. It's got more moving parts, and even though that some of the things, you know, like artwork is potentially easier, right? uh, it's still just more complicated. Yeah, 
Uh, and like we were talking about this too, like Project Skirmish is an action game. It plays, you know, kind of like a Zelda, only it's much simpler and it's really just a brawler. It's kind of just about combat. But like you can look at our history. We've pretty much made, you know, we've made a lot of games, like 20 or 30 games over the years. But like there's the four primary ones, right? There's Onslaught Arena, action game. There's uh, Lunchbug and Lava Blade, both turn-based games and then there's a wizard lizard action game so like our two action games are by far our most successful games and our two turn-based games for better or for worse haven't really found the audience so like whether we want that to be the case or not we are better and have had more success at making action games so it makes sense to focus on that yeah and uh and specifically like the three force overhead action games yeah it's kind of like our wheelhouse right yeah and that's not necessarily a bad place to be i mean i think that or being a two-man studio focus is our best friend right yes <laughs> uh and like and just and also as a business right building a niche business is not a bad way to go or focusing yeah. on a niche rather instead of trying to you know you don't want to try and make the next hit but if you can serve a small niche then that's a <laughs> more solid business strategy than trying to you know knock it out of the park yeah, we we were just traditionally doing too much. I think if we could go back, we'd probably just be like, "Look, we're making action games," but it's hard when you're so excited and you you technically can make whatever game you want next and you want to. And part of it too is like you know when you were looking into the noise algorithm stuff earlier, you you know you get to the top of the hill and you look around and you realize that this is not the right hill, that kind of thing. But you come away with something. Yeah, uh, and That's if anything, true. it is like uh, it has steeled us. You know, it has like firmed our resolve. Like we. We're pretty convinced that uh, action games are going to be what our 2015 is going to be all about. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, for better or for worse, it's just about making decisions and pushing forward. And, you know, one of the things I think we need to do is improve our output. Yes. In in 2015 is I want to launch, you know, we want to launch at least two games in 2015. Yeah. It's funny because we've only talked about the one. There's the other one where we wanted to, we want to get back to the bigger game. Um, we want to do something along the sides of a wizard's lizard, but you know, the, the content that's there and all the systems that are there, we get much more mileage out of it. So like, you know, you take all the pieces and elements that a wizard's lizard has, but if it's got a better wrapper and it's better designed, you can get a way more mileage out of just what's there. And we want that kind of approach. Yeah, for sure. So our, basically our plan for 2015 is the first thing we want to do is it's, we haven't launched a game if you think about it, like, you know, Wizard Lizard came out January last year and June uh, on Steam. So it's been, depending on how you look at it, between six months and a year, like it's time. <laughs> yes. It's time for us to launch a new game. And so we're like, we're making a, just making a beeline for the finish line. And we're looking for maybe like March or April. I'm going to eat my foot right now. <laughs> Shove my foot right, right in the, oh, like my mouth. Uh, but that's our goal, right? Whether we meet or not, uh, I'm sure that you will find out on the podcast. <laughs> i'm sure this will be a reference uh to our inadequacy yes in, like four or five months but like, our, remember our goal lost cast 105 when you said that <laughs> no oh the cursed the 105 <laughs> remember the 105 right um but we want to basically we want to make the best game we can in three months and oh we were talking about this recently too like that contract game we were talking about earlier uh that was early last year that was a three-month game the project we talked about before it was um project warhead the online html5 turn uh, not it wasn't turn-based it was a real-time action game uh online multiplayer that one was a three-month game i think we had planned for oh no actually contractually lava blade was supposed to be a three-month game as well we've like three months is like where we go to die <laughs> it's like we do not succeed when we're like yeah you know we're gonna make this game in three months so i don't know are you scared i'm scared uh, a little bit, although you know, you've been working on uh, the skirmish prototype for you know the like latter, a month. I say the latter half of this uh, of 2014, but <clears throat> you know it's seen some work on it and some iteration, and you know we're not starting from zero. It's not a three month game starting now. It's true. Let's take the next three to four months and finish this game that we think already has promise and is already playable. You know, and has enemies and levels, and there's a lot of work there. It just it's true. Needs to kind of like okay, like we, basically we've got this prototype that we think is fun, and we have general ideas about the flow and and what kind of content we want to make. And now, uh, basically, we're just going to sprint on that. 
basically yeah so our plan is to we're gonna make like a big ish announcement you know the biggest that we can uh hopefully by the end of this month maybe february we'll have to see how it goes but we want to do it proper you know a press release and here's the name of the game and here's a at least a teaser website maybe some video like you can sign up for the mailing list and blah 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 but we want to make a big splash and then we're going to start hitting really hard um these like weekly videos we were doing but it'll instead of you know oh here's some project skirmish prototype with stolen zelda graphics it'll be more like you know here is our game and here is you know week one alpha week two alpha and every week we'll you know show the new changes and it'll get more and more polished and hopefully you know we can build an audience by the time we launch and i don't know <laughs> q1 q2 um might have a little bit of a following hopefully yeah hopefully and then you know we'll see if we can put it on steam yeah hopefully that's i think is the one of the biggest unknowns because uh just the news on green light recently like what like already they've put 500 new games into steam like oh crap i think i haven't even been updating like the green light page i went to see because i read something about like oh yeah they greenlit 500 games and i went to like the green light blog or whatever and they haven't updated since august of last year oh no i don't even know like what is happening with green light don't they just feel done with it you can tell that they're like um you guys we're phasing this out (laughs) any day now like they're going to become the android app store right we're anybody can just like yep there it goes it's on steam now no one knows about it and then you just pray that someone will put you on a curated list like some miracle will happen and total biscuits like what's this piece of crap oh okay sure i'll tweet it and bam or you know (laughs) puts it in a list or something like that's what it's going to become probably but nobody knows because it's valve and uh they're very secretive yeah well you know hopefully they have some way of yeah, uh, there's got to be some good middle ground between being extremely hard to get on and um, just flooded with crap. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, so that's a big unknown for us, but it is like really important because 90 plus percent of the sales comes from Steam and Windows and like we have to get on those markets. So that is definitely the goal with this game. Um, which actually kind of brings us to uh, our next <laughs> big project. Yeah, so the one after Project Skirmish. So we actually, like, we're, we're kind of planning our whole year out. And, you know, it's tentative. We we are aware that, like, any plan... What is that saying? It's another war saying. I was talking about war. We're earlier. aware that we say a lot of things and none of them happen. <laughs> well, it was like, uh, no plan survives its first uh, contact with the enemy. Yes. Right? So it's not about... Like, it's... Have a good direction and, and know what what you tentatively want to do, but just be aware that, you know... Like that's a that's a great example actually that Steam could change our direction drastically. You know they could yep. they could announce something where we're like, whoa, we need to pivot now because our plans don't match up with <laughs> this really important market. You know. So to that end, you know, uh, one thing I've read is that it's easier to get like sequels on Steam. Yeah. Um, and so that could influence our decision making, right? If Steam is such a big part of our financial future, then you know it could make sense for us to make a sequel to Wizard's Lizard. That's yeah, one like, of the things that we've been thinking about. Yeah, if something changes where, you know, maybe Steam goes the opposite direction, they're like, no, no one's allowed anymore. There's too many games here. We're done. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it won't be that, right? But, you know, then we'd be like, oh, crap. Like, now we need an end. And maybe, you know, a Wizard's Lizard's already there. And we've heard that, like, hey, I just need an app ID for the sequel to this thing. <laughs> I don't want to mess with Greenlight. <laughs> right. You know? But, like, Project Skirmish doesn't have that, so it would need to go through the normal channels but that could uh be a factor for us and then later let's say it's like yeah any games on steam whatever and then at that point we'd be like oh okay well then we don't necessarily like there's less incentive to make say a sequel right right but we are kind of planning that out and basically the plan yeah q1 early q2 launch first game and then begin pre-pro on the next game and we want it to be a bigger one and we want to like maybe get it funded we have some history with that could do another kickstarter campaign it's uh you know it's kind of that specific process is a little up in the air right now although i think that it'll start to solidify you know probably around q2 because i think around mid-year we want to announce slash potentially kickstart uh a bigger game kind of you know at least like a wizard's lizard size or bigger right yeah exactly so, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of time between now and when that will happen. 
but that is kind of our tentative plan. Yeah, although, you know, it seems like a long time, but, you know, it'll be like, it'll be June before you know it. It will. Yeah. Oh, man. Can you freaking believe how fast 2014 went? I can't. It's just gone. Seriously. What what in the world? (laughs) It feels like it should be uh, still be 2014 right now. Yeah. It just kind of gets away from us. Yeah. I don't know. Time flies. Life is so busy. Especially, you know, as you get older, time seems to move more quickly. Yeah. So... That is about the end of this podcast. I think next week we're going to... So, like, this week we're going to hit really hard Project Skirmish. And so, like, you uh, you actually committed some code last night. And we're, we're both, like, we're consolidating. We're going to work on the same project. Our our forces combined, you know? <laughs> right. And These we can do a schmucks. lot. schmucks. Goodbye. Yeah. I always think about uh, whenever I'm nervous about how much we could manage to do uh, in a short period of time. Uh, I always think about uh, like Indie Speedrun or, you know, Ludum Dare, Global Game Jam. Basically, I think of Indie Speedrun because those are the ones that we've contributed to. But like, look what you can do in two days. You know, you can make a game from start to finish in two freaking days, you know? So when I think about us having, (laughs) it was dangerous, right? Uh, Two or three months to work on something, I, I get excited because I know we can do a lot in a little time sometimes. So... I know that we can do a lot with more time, right? But ah, I think for us, like, <clears throat> it's about having focus and direction. You know, the reason that we're so successful-ish in, in you know, making a complete game within uh, the time constraints of, like, two days or whatever is that we just pick something, because we know it's, like, throwaway, right? Right. So we just pick something, we go with it, and we just understand what the vision is, even if it's crappy, and just execute Right, And the thing that takes so much time about other games like Wizards, Lizard and stuff is that we spend so much time just thrashing around trying to design, redesign, add this, add that. And there's, you know, most time is spent on that. And, you know, if we just had a very clear goal, you know, you and I are strong engineers and we know JavaScript really well and our engine's pretty good. Like in terms of like just implementation, if we knew what we were marching towards, we could just bang it out really quickly. Right, yeah. Um, so um, for us, it's all about focusing and understanding what we're trying to build, uh, which yeah. will really enable us to move faster. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, doing the podcast and talking about Project Skirmish, and then when we get to mid-year and we're talking about the Kickstarter, like, hopefully we've got a little bit of an audience here that we can kind of, you know, try to uh, get excited about the game and that'll help out. There's actually a tweet um, I saw recently that I thought was really funny uh, from Andre on Twitter, uh, Shades of Paradox, my cheap ass shall soon buy Lost Decade Games Wizard's Lizard <laughs> with a massive Steam discount. All it took was 100 plus free podcasts to goad me. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, hopefully we'll have that effect, you know, like when we're podcasting about um, Project Skirmish for the next uh, one to three months, uh, hopefully some people will be like, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, look forward to Project Skirmish changelog. We're not going to do that. We're not, we're not, we're not, <laughs> the feedback was overwhelmingly that like, oh, the Krypton change log, the desert. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep it spiced up, but that's probably what we're going to talk about next week is because like, basically it'll be like, how did the first week of the year go? Because the first week of our year is very focused. It's where we're making progress on Project Skirmish, you know? So like this podcast next week, we can be like, well, we got so much done in that first week or we will just crying and we're like, oh my God. <laughs> All the data's gone. <laughs> we took 20 we steps go? backwards. <laughs> Matt deleted the repo. This doesn't bode well. <laughs> but we'll have to see how that goes. Um, and we're not just going to do, like we were saying, the, the weekly change log. We also have um, some talks, uh, some questions, and some suggestions from listeners, including uh, monetization, um, how to keep, uh, basically how to finish a game, how to stay on track, you know, cause we've talked before, like, uh, Lost Cast 101 is kind of game dev 101, how to start, how to begin. Right. But, uh, considerably easier than finishing starting is, you know, so like oh, we should yeah. also have an episode that's just about like, okay, so you've got your small to medium sized game you're in the middle, you're losing motivation, you're, <laughs> you're lacking focus. Like how do you actually bring that to the finish line? You know? And so we'll talk about things like that as well. Thanks for listening as always. Uh, Give us a review on iTunes. Vote us up. We'd really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. We are going to play you out uh, another song from Waveform 5, which go check it out. Brand new album from Joshua Morris. I love it. Uh, This one's called Bossa Bucket. Hope you like it. Tip it.
Hello. What? Oh. 